This is Molly Full Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Inappropriate yep. Brocamp. <laughs> Inappropriate. Yes, Inappropriate. thank you. Hi, everybody. In this week's episode, Jason Moser is going to join us to walk us through the exciting future and investing possibilities in the field of augmented reality. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, so a few years ago, I did a series of articles on the greatest investors of all time. And we discussed some of them on the show. But one person I don't think we discussed was David Swenson, who is the manager at the, of the endowment at Yale. He's been managing it since 1985. Um, and he's also well known for a couple of books. He, he wrote a book, Pioneering Portfolio Management, in the year 2000. That was more for professionals. And then he wrote a book called Unconventional Success in 2005 for the average investor. And then back then, after he published the book, David Gardner interviewed David Swenson on the Motley Fool's NPR radio show. Aww. I know, maybe people don't remember we some had might, that. Some of our listeners might remember. Yes. And, and by the way, a lot of those are still available on the NPR website. You can go and hear a lot of those old things, including my then elementary school-age daughter reading the disclaimer three or four times. It's kind of cute. Anyway, so back then, at that point, uh, David Swenson had managed the endowment and earned 16% annualized returns. Wow. And outperformed 99% of all US based mutual funds. How was he able to do it? Uh, first of all, he invests beyond traditional US stocks and bonds. He has some of that, but also in all kinds of alternative assets like private equity, hedge funds. It's probably not fair to compare him to mutual funds, right? Right, to a certain degree. That's, yeah. that's certainly yeah. true. Um, so he was investing in all these things like that, uh, was able to get in on Google, Amazon, Facebook before they were public. Things like that. So he's more of actually a, a capital allocator. So he chooses, he and his team decide which assets to be in, then they go find managers to actually pick the investments. Hmm. So, how is it done over the past 10 or so years? Well, that's been highlighted in a recent article on Morningstar.com by John Reckenthaler. And I'm sorry, John, if I don't pronounce your name correctly. Uh, but so he looked at the returns from June 2008 to June 2018, because those are the most recent returns we have available based on Yale's annual report. How did they do over that 10-year period? According to John, Yale gained an annualized 7.4%. Oh. So, about the same as a target date retirement fund with a 2035 date. Huh. Uh, over that period, the S&P 500 posted a total return of 160%, while Yale's endowment has grown 104%. So, in other words, he's actually significantly underperformed the yeah. S&P 500 over the last decade past or so. Past performances, not predict future, what's the line? Yes, exactly that one. <laughs> That's the one. So, first of all, the lessons here are, it's been really tough to outperform the S&P 500. It has been among the best-performing asset types over the last several years. And to the degree you diversify away from that during a period when S&P 500 is hot, you're just not going to look so good. Um, so, this applies not only to David Swenson, but anyone who invested in international stocks, in value stocks, in bonds. You're just not going to look so good. There is a question that, I mean, part of what David Swenson's success was in the beginning was he was doing something very different than most endowment funds. Most endowment funds were invested in just stocks and bonds, and he was doing something different. He got great returns, he wrote some very popular books made his strategy popular, and he may be sort of the victim of his own success, because now most endowment funds are, what are following what is called the Yale model. So, it's possible 
that the future will never look like the past did for David Swenson. That said, he did go through a period like this in the 90s, again, another time when the S&P 500 did very well. The following decade, he did extraordinarily well. So, I'm not ready to write him off, but for all of us, Whenever we invest in some sort of financial advisor or a mutual fund with an active manager and they don't do so well for a few years, you have to make that decision. Is it them or is it just their style is out of favor, but it's going to come back at some point and you don't want to sell right before that rebound happens? The other thing I'll highlight is that in his book, 2005, Unconventional Success, that was written for individual investors, he said, I was hoping to write this book that would tell investors how to pick good actively managed funds, how to invest sort of like we do at Yale, and he basically said, I can't do it. For the average investor, really what you should do is just invest in index funds. And on that point, he was absolutely right. So, anyone who read his book and followed his advice did very well. So, our second item is the tale of Joe McLean, who is profiled in an article in the New York Times. Did you read this? No, but he sounds like a cowboy. <laughs> Joe McLean. <laughs> Joe McLean. Uh, well, so he was—he's six foot six. So you might guess what sport he tried to play. Played basketball at Arizona. Tried to do some semi-pro work in North Dakota. Eventually played for a, a basketball team in Spain. Semi-pro in North Dakota and yes. then on to Spain. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, the funny story there about his time in Spain is they didn't pay him, and at some point he and another U.S. player were owed sixteen thousand dollars. <gasps> Wow. And they said, we're not playing in this game that's about to start until you pay us. So they wrestle up $16,000 in cash, give it to them in bags. They didn't know what to do with it, so they had just met this American backpacker who was at the game. They said, we'll pay you 500 bucks to sit at the front row and hold on to our cash, and if you as much go to the bathroom, we're going to leave this game and chase you down. Oh. But they didn't give them all the cash. They each put $8,000 in their underwear and played the game. Oh. But the <laughs> and then he eventually gets a shot at an NBA team. He makes it through training camp. He's about to get on the bus for the opening game, and they tell him, sorry, we've replaced Aww. you. So he's heartbroken. He leaves sports. He becomes a financial advisor. Oh. But over the years, a lot of his old teammates said, like, hey, I heard you're good with money. Maybe you could be my financial advisor. So he has become the financial advisor to the stars, at least the star athletes. So mm-hmm. he has golfers, baseball players, football players, but he's known mostly for basketball players. In the article, I didn't realize how much more basketball players earn than football players. The average NBA guy makes $10 million a year. The average NFL player, only $3 million. Rough life. Huh. Yeah. But the most interesting thing about the article, and I recommend everyone read it just because it's got all those great stories of what the pros do. You know, they buy their $5,000 koi ponds and their multiple cars and all that. Is he has one rule to work with him you have to invest 60 to 80% of your money. If you don't invest that much of your income, you can't work with me. 68. 60, what a weird 60 to 80%. 60. Oh, I. Yes. No. <laughs> I was like, that is very specific. No. So you have to invest 60%. At least. And, at least. And then if you sign a long-term cro- contract, it's got to be 80%. That, yeah. And he has fired people for not being able to do that. Um, so, I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And they interview plenty of the players. They're clearly grateful that he kind of keeps them in line. Uh, and the, it, the, It's full of anecdotes about the, the players not just being aware of how much things cost. They have a story of a guy who signs a big contract with the Orlando Magic, of course, buys a big house. Has to take care of his loan of his lawn. These guys come and say, "Oh yeah, it'll cost four to five thousand dollars a week to do your lawn." <gasps> Joe Joe comes in and says, "No, that's going to only cost you five hundred dollars a week." So now his job is finding a lawn guy. <laughs> but anyways, fascinating article. Totally recommend it. And that's what's up. 
happy that Jason Moser is joining us in the studio today because he's really excited about an investing trend we're going to talk about, and I'm kind of somewhat skeptical. So maybe, Jason, you were thinking this was going to be a bunch of softball questions lobbed at you, and you were just going to swing for the fences. I know you, and I don't think I ever would expect softball questions right. from you. So. Well, this could be a really fun interview where Jason makes a point, and then I just go, yeah, I'm not buying it. I could pull a Steve Jobs and just be like, you said you weren't going to talk about that. Just get up and leave. There you right? go. Did you ever see that video? No, he was doing, he do It was that? like some old CNBC interview, or I guess before the interview, they'd agreed on something. And then, of course, the reporter starts going into the this area where they said they wouldn't go, and Jobs just politely just says, I thought we said we weren't going to talk about that, and he just gets up and leaves. Wow. It's pretty classic. You would do that to me? No, Can't I wouldn't do it to you. I would not. Maybe bro, but not you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> happens to me every day. So, yeah, so what we are going to talk about today is the investing trend of augmented reality. Um, so, I, I think we know virtual reality. You put on some goggles and then you look around and it's like you're in another place. But what makes augmented reality so special and so exciting is what we're going to talk about today. Jason, kick us off. What is the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality? That is a very good question. And that is the question I lead off typically whenever I talk about this service because they are two different things, though they share some common traits. And I think the simplest way to look at it is with virtual reality. You're essentially looking at diving into a completely computer-generated world. You're leaving our reality here, all of the physical nature of this reality, and going somewhere else completely that doesn't really have anything to do with reality. So some people call it a form of escapism, and I mean, in some cases, that is. Um, And I think that's always been why virtual reality is a bit, maybe a, a sexier headline, so to speak, because you see those visuals and the nature of it and think, you think, wow, the possibilities. But augmented reality, it, it plays out in our daily lives, I think, a lot more than, than virtual reality ever will. And that's because we're taking the physical world that we see and encounter every day, and we're overlaying technology on top of that. And so the easiest uh, example that most people can relate to is the the recent uh, game, that, that game Pokemon Go, right? I mean, right. you would run around town with your phone, you would hold your phone up, and then on your screen, you would see a picture of a park, and then in the middle of that park is some character from the the game. Uh, so that was a good example of just. Or, or if you used your camera, you would literally see a Pikachu sitting in your fountain in right. the middle of your park. And like so was, that yeah. is the technology being overlaid on top of the real world. And, and I think that's why it's so exciting is, is, you know, ultimately we are living in the real world every day. Uh, but really, what, what, astounded me in in digging into all of the research for the service was the number of different markets, the number of different areas where augmented reality is really having such an impact. Yeah, because Pokemon Go and Snapchat filters, that's fun. It's gimmicky in a way. Yeah. So, Yes, I would like to hear about why augmented reality is more than just a gimmick. Sure. So let's and, start. Let's. I don't know. Do you want to talk about some different practical applications or absolutely, industries? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think you know the one thing I will say: gaming really there isn't a lot of exposure to gaming in this service. I mean, it came out with fifteen recommendations initially for this service, and none of those fifteen recs is a is a pure gaming company, um, and, and that's because really you haven't seen practical applications yet other than sort of just consumer clever sort of you know Pokemon Go or Snapchat filters or whatever and that's fine but at the end of the day what kind of value is that creating uh, companies in the healthcare market 
are really benefiting from this technology. In uh, a lot of cases where companies are using augmented reality in order to train physicians, uh, surgery, for example, which is obviously an area where you need a lot of practice to get really good at it. Uh, you don't have a second chance if you're cutting into someone and you kind of screw it up. Uh, so, augmented reality is serving as a very popular training tool for physicians in med school and, and even when they get out. Uh, engineering, I think, is another one that really strikes me as a big opportunity. And at Full Fest, uh, I was talking about a company called Autodesk, which essentially makes all of the software that engineers use. And so, whether it's a building or a plane or these cool special effects that you might see in movies, augmented reality plays a role oftentimes in the design of these types of things. It's another tool that engineers can use to help visualize, plan, and really get their vision, uh, you know, not only down on paper, so to speak, but bring that vision to reality. So, a lot of how we invest at The Motley Fool is in companies that are very consumer-facing. So, you've talked about some yeah. that are more like healthcare, engineering. In what ways do you think augmented reality would have the biggest impact or the biggest potential impact in our daily lives? I think a couple of good examples could be in uh, so so obviously here uh, not everybody always works on site. We have a lot of people that work remotely and, and wherever that may be. So I think in some cases uh, augmented reality can serve as a good productivity tool if we're doing video conferencing, for example. Um, if Bro's in California and I'm in Virginia and we need to uh, have a meeting or a series of meetings or whatever, we're working together. Augmented reality is starting to play a, a role more in uh, video conferencing and helping workers become more productive, visualizing things that are going on. And, and if there's a tool on there where he and I can both interact with this tool to, to ultimately produce what we're trying to produce, well, that's going to be more efficient uh, use of our time. Um, and in regard to consumers... Yeah, like where is this going to be in our daily lives? In our daily lives, right, yeah. Because I think of like Google Glass, right? Like Google yeah. Glass, do, would we all agree that Google Glass was kind of a flop? Um, and we're not walking it, around with Google Glass we are on not, our faces. Right we are now. not yet. In it in its in its first iteration, Google Glass was I I don't think what they were hoping it would be. Now uh, to be clear, I mean Google has not dropped the headset idea altogether. They're they're still working on stuff. Um, as is as as is Apple, uh, Microsoft also has uh, their Hololens, um, and so you're seeing all of these types of headsets as one step into trying to figure out exactly what's the easiest way for consumers to interact. How do how do we bring that augmented reality into our everyday? Is it a headset? Is it a watch? Is it a phone? But I think you know the one thing that when people think about augmented reality, I think the first thing they think of is visual, mm -hmm. and I think most people think it's only visual. Yeah. And, and the fact of the matter, it's not. Um, I mean, we're talking about everything, all, all of the senses really, from from visual, obviously, to to hearing, uh, to touch, to smell. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that augmented reality plays into our lives. I mean, haptic technology, which is essentially if you have an Apple Watch or a phone that buzzes, or you know, the new Apple iPhone. I mean, you have something where you can actually you feel that little bump when you do something in mm -hmm. particular. I mean, that's a form of augmented reality in in taking what's going on in our world and overlaying technology uh, to communicate in a different way. So I think that's part of it right there is understanding really what augmented reality is. It stretches beyond just the visual. In a really good book that I read recently on the topic, uh, a book called Augmented Human. It's written by Helen Papagianis, and she's an expert uh, you know, in the industry. And, and really, I think that's what that book did for me, was open my eyes to all of the different forms that augmented reality takes beyond just visual. But I think visual is where people kind of draw the line, and, and that's, that's where I think the 
That's maybe why you would be a little bit skeptical, I think. Uh, well, there are a few reasons why I'm skeptical, not just the visual. I, yeah. I mean, because I can imagine a world where, oh my gosh, bro needs open heart surgery. There's only one specialist in the world who can do it. That specialist is a doctor that lives in Germany. That doctor is going to put on his haptic gloves and magically, thousands of miles away in Alexandria, Virginia, this the the movements of this specialist are actually being played out in Robert Brokamp through robots or sure. whatever, right? I can imagine a world where that happens because that's stuff of movies. And okay, yeah, that would be pretty awesome because I don't want you to die, bro. Oh, thank you so much. So I want stuff. the best doctors in Germany yeah. <laughs> or wherever they are in Portland, Oregon, working on you. So, but how far away is that? I remember in the nineties. Um, people were like, oh my gosh, virtual reality is the future. It's going to take over. It's going to, ah, it's t- like 20 years later, I'm still like, where's my virtual reality in my day-to-day life? I need, I, I don't know, it just seems like it's been it's been a long time coming, so, and we are patient investors here at The Motley Fool. Sure, Bowl. sure we are. But if you're like, yeah, well, really, this isn't going to play out for 10, 20 years, well, then I think I need... I, you know, I, you make a good point there in regard to virtual reality. I think the reason why, when a new technology takes over like that, and it's so eye-opening and so astounding, and you just automatically think there are going to be these tremendous implications for it. But if you really get back to the core of what virtual reality is, again, I mean, it's essentially a form of escapism, more or less. Like, I don't know, other than going to an amusement park, for example. I mean, there are plenty of implications, don't get me wrong. But I think what we see in virtual reality, for the most part, you go to an amusement park. And I think it was a few years back, a couple of years back, we went to Universal Studios with our girls. And a lot of the rides there, for example, and they are now virtual reality rides, right? You step into this auditorium, you put these glasses on, and you essentially um, are escaping into this different form and of reality. And it gets really motion some, sick. Yeah, exactly. You get a little motion sick. And, yeah. and some of those rides could be considered more on the augmented reality spectrum. But I, I do think it, it initially is difficult to fully understand where the technology can take you when the technology is still so new. And I think that augmented reality qualifies still as a very new technology for the most part. It's it's neat technology. It's a matter of trying to figure out exactly where it's going to help the most. Um, I mean, looking at it, it, companies in the financial industry, believe it or not, are actually using augmented reality in order to be able to parse and understand data better. In this data-driven world, I mean, imagine you know a company like Splunk, which basically just harvests all of this machine data for a company to then use and figure out how to get value from it. It's difficult to translate, right? But there are augmented reality technologies now where, say, if you work for, uh, I mean, Salesforce is a good company here, an example of a company that is utilizing augmented reality to help parse this data. So, you would essentially put on a headset, whether it's Google Glass or something, and then it's taking all of this machine data and actually putting it to, it's giving it to you in a format where you can look at it and visually see and understand it. Mm-hmm. And and so, for a company like that, that's going to be where augmented reality might uh, you know be able to help them in understanding their customers and, and helping grow that business. Um, but, but to your point, yeah, it is difficult to fully understand because it is, it is really such a new technology. Uh, but with that said, it's a technology that a lot of companies are really investing in and understanding better. Look at it from the consumer side. If you've ever shopped in Amazon or Wayfair, 
Now, with Amazon and Wayfair both, if you go by furniture, I mean, when Wayfair came public, I think the biggest snag for most people was, how in the world am I going to buy furniture online? There's no way I can fully understand if that chair or if that couch is going to fit in my room, how it's going to look. It just doesn't make any sense. But now, you can use Amazon and or Wayfair, and through the magic of augmented reality technology, you can put that couch right in the middle of where you want to put it in your house. You can see the dimensions, you can see how it will look in your house, and immediately understand better as to whether it's something you actually want to buy. And companies from Home Depot to Wayfair and many others are reporting that using this augmented reality technology in their apps uh, is resulting in material boost to sales. Because mm-hmm. as a consumer, you can make a more educated decision uh, as opposed to kind of hemming and hawing. Yeah, I think I'm still waiting for that that toothbrush test, right? Like, how am I going to use augmented reality two, three times in my day? Um, you know, like they say at Google, the toothbrush, the yeah. toothbrush test. I mean, it may um, not be something that you necessarily need to use uh, all, mm-hmm. all of the time uh, during the day, but if we see progress that's continued, uh, it's continued to be made on the education front, for example. I mean, schools and teachers more and more are bringing this type of technology into the classroom mm-hmm. and figuring out ways to incorporate augmented reality technology into their lessons uh, to make it more understandable, to make it more real for the students. I mean, with a student. You got to capture their attention, right? It's a very difficult thing to do for a kid. They have very short attention spans, but they're finding that with that augmented reality technology, they can they can essentially make these lessons better. They can bring more reality to it. Put characters, you know, in the mix there, or smells or sounds, and all of a sudden now instead of you know reading about the Civil War, for example, you can actually be immersed in it and not only see what's going on, but hear what's going on and smell what's going on. Uh, so I think education is another great area where, just like video conferencing, uh, maybe you don't use that every day, but perhaps your daughter will, or perhaps her kids one day will. Um, it is something that will evolve. It will get better over time. But, you know, investing is a forward-looking exercise anyway. So. It is. And then maybe I just lack vision um, that, that you have. Uh, all right, let's start talking about some companies specifically to look at. Because you, you've mentioned a lot of companies, Disney, companies that will use augmented reality to make their product better. Um, but are there companies that are actually helping create the technology of augmented reality? Sure. I, w- I feel like I would rather invest in... I'm already invested in Disney for yeah. other reasons, right? So, what are the big players that are actually moving these innovations forward that all the companies are going to want to buy their products? Absolutely. I mean, the biggest no-brainer out there, I would say, is Apple. And the reason why is they possess the largest augmented reality software development platform. It's something that recently came out um, a two or three years ago called um, the AR Kit. And it's just another, essentially, collection of tools for developers to be able to build augmented reality-enabled apps. Whatever vertical they want to pursue, whether it's a game or whether it's healthcare or banking or whatever, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, they can use Apple's set of tools in order to build out their augmented reality vision. So, I think Apple is kind of a no-brainer where that's concerned. We know what we're getting with it. It's not a pure play on something like augmented reality. And if for some reason they stumble uh, you know they're going to be able to still make their money in other ways, uh, and, and then of course you look at the companies that are helping build the technology. I mean, we talk a lot about chip companies, um, and those can be difficult investments just because they can 
certainly become commoditized, or if they fall a little bit behind on the innovation cycle, then another chip company comes in there and takes their place. But a name that I think a lot of investors are familiar with in our world, NVIDIA. Uh, NVIDIA is a graphics uh, chip supplier, essentially. And they help power everything from the Magic Leap headset uh, to automobiles and self-driving cars. They have the Drive platform, which is uh, part of the technology that's going into these self-driving cars. Which you know, I think self-driving cars are still a ways away for a number of reasons. But I do think that technology um, is is certainly inevitable. I mean, I think really the biggest snag with the self-driving cars is more us uh, in in the infrastructure as far as like a road system and in trying to figure out how we can drive alongside self-driving cars and not just run into everybody. <laughs> um, I think those are two companies that would be great for investors to at least take a look at, understanding that even if they're not buying in the augmented reality vision, uh, those are companies that make their money a number of different ways, um, and that would be a way to dip your toe in the water. Let's talk a little bit about allocation here. Sure. Um, in some of the previous episodes, we've talked about some of the Motley Fool thematic services like cannabis marijuana yeah where you have some pretty pure play companies and it's a little risky so you want to limit the amount of exposure you have for those but this is a little different it is because yeah. there aren't that many real pure play AR companies and a lot of the companies that are in this space are very diversified so how do you think about allocation when you're incorporating this into your portfolio, yeah, I mean, so we would think we look at really if you take your entire portfolio into consideration. I mean, we don't think augmented reality needs to make up some massive part of it. I mean, it could be anywhere from ten to forty percent of your overall portfolio, depending on how much exposure you want. But I think you know you you keyed on on something there that I think is pretty nice for investors is that. Probably a lot of foolish investors already own some of these companies that are giving them some exposure to augmented reality, and they don't even really know it yet. And we mentioned Apple, and I think Nvidia. Um, yeah, you don't see many companies out there that are just solely augmented reality companies, and the ones that are typically are the smaller. Uh, not public. They're the private companies backed by venture capital that are trying to figure out ways uh, to really, you know, make the best use of that technology. And so we, I certainly keep my eye on on those uh, uh, companies. But when we talk about augmented reality, you kind of break it out into, into risks. I mean, you can see some of these big obvious names that are playing into the space, like Apple. That's going to be a relatively low risk investment. You go down uh, the chain there, maybe to some of the suppliers or to some smaller companies that really are incorporating more augmented reality technology than than others. They may be a little bit riskier, uh, but they certainly could could possess more upside. So very much like when we talk about small cap, mid cap, large cap, I think you can look at augmented reality much the same way. You know, give yourself the exposure to those stayed. You know, stalwart names in there. Uh, save the speculation for the smaller positions because most of that speculating probably won't work out, but maybe one or two will, and they kind of give you that rule breaker effect where they uh, they have a multi bagger, and that's that's really what you're looking for. All right, Jason, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this trend. Um, I totally. I mean, I don't like. I know I started this off by being like, <laughs> I'm skeptical. I don't know, um, and I am skeptical, but I think just because. I mean, this is. Like this kind of investing is is kind of is not necessarily in my style. It's of and yeah, you're, it may not be up everybody's alley. Yeah. And let's be clear, this is a bit more futuristic in nature. Mm-hmm. It does require. I mean, I say investing is always a leap of faith. Yeah, it just matters how big of a leap you're taking. This requires a bigger leap, no doubt. Um, 
So I mean, you have to keep that in mind. Yeah, and I and I and I, I want to live in a world where this is something that is awesome and existing and and. You know, so I don't know. Well, it's, to... so we had a good question at Fool Fest this past week. Okay. Someone was asking a question about 3D technology. Mm-hmm. Remember 3D printing and how that was all the rage for a while? You companies like 3D Systems and Stratasys yeah. and MakerBot. And yeah. I mean, 3D printing was where it was at. And that was kind of a short-lived story. I was skeptical on of that the surface. Too, by okay, the way. it was so. a short-lived story on the surface, <laughs> and I tell you why. And this is something we have to pay attention to with augmented reality because what ultimately happens, it's less about the pure play technology mm-hmm. and more about the companies that are utilizing that te- technology to do cool things. So if you think that 3D printing is a fad that's gone and companies yep. aren't using, you're dead wrong. Companies out there all over are using it, and 3D printing is really a great way. For companies like Apple and Ford to not only develop new technologies, but to protect the technologies they develop because they can build it in house versus having to contract it out or get another provider to build something for and them. And so, are we, and are we seeing that awesome success story in the stock price of 3D companies, or we're, are we seeing it in Apple stock? We're seeing price? exactly. We're seeing it in the companies that are using the technology, yeah. not yeah. the companies that are responsible for the technology. And so, you were talking about pure plays with augmented reality. You don't really see a lot of those, but you do see a lot of companies that are really doing cool stuff with augmented reality technology. So, a lot of what we're doing is finding a lot of great businesses out there that are already successful in their own right. And as they evolve and grow and offer new products and services, augmented reality is becoming a part of their arsenal. And I think that's where investors, that's probably what investors really want to focus on most, is how the companies are utilizing that technology mm-hmm. uh, in order to grow and, and become better. All right. So, Jason, thank you for joining us. You got it. Thank you for sitting across the table from this skeptical woman here. (laughs) Um, And again, where should people go if they want to learn more? Okay. So, you can always follow me on Twitter at TMFJMO. I'm going to be kicking out as much of this stuff as I can without disclosing too much from the service. Because we did just launch a service. Yeah. I don't want to make my members angry, and and it's understandable. but but this is this is a space I'm going to continue to follow and learn about and, and uh, study, uh, and I cannot recommend it. If it and I'm going to recommend it specifically for you, little Miss Skepticism. <laughs> Get that book. As a matter of fact, I'll even lend you my copy. Read the book "Augmented Human" from Helen Papagianis, and I think you will see at least it will open your eyes to the potential that the technology holds. Because for me, initially, it was all about sort of the visual, and I think her book really takes you to that next level of understanding all the different ways augmented reality technology plays out. I feel like I see the potential. I just don't know that I have the patience. Maybe you we'll don't, see. but you know that's funny. <laughs> I would say, in my wife and I, I'm certainly the more patient one. I don't mm-hmm. know how that dynamic plays out with your uh, family, bro, but there's no question I, I've got more patience. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason, thanks again for joining us. Thank it's you. been a lot of fun. Well, that's the show. Um, did I already do a disclaimer that The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about on today's show? Don't buy and sell stocks based only on what you heard here. Uh, the show is edited provocatively by Rick Engdahl. Our email is <laughs> answers at fool.com. Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.